This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. It is already April, April 1st to be exact, so no jokes today, I swear. We are actually doing a show, um, and I cannot believe it's already April, which is actually one of my most favorite times of the year because living in Texas, we have these beautiful, huge, like almost blankets of flowers that come up this time of year, and there are these vibrant blues and reds and pinks, and it's just it's just breathtaking. So if you look up Texas Wildflowers in the spring, you will see it. It is fantastic. It is also Informed Women Month. That means if there's ever anything you've wanted to learn about, now is the time to look it up. It could be something very small, like what's the capital of Kansas, or something massive. So, I mean, learn something new every day, even if it's something small, because it keeps our brains working. Um, And also, a big happy birthday to Brad Meltzer. Uh, A few years ago, I was able to participate in an auction, and I won an hour of time with Brad, and he could not be any nicer and more gracious. And honestly, I tried to stay very professional for the first 40 minutes, and I had run out of stuff to say, and he says, we don't have to talk about just books. So we just talked about being parents and kids and juggling life and new projects and everything else. So he was very cool. So thank you, Brad Meltzer, and I hope you have a fantastic birthday. But today I have another amazing author who I'm so excited to have on because not only is she super fantastic, she's also one of my bosses. But um, Jane Porter is going to be our, our guest today, and I will tell you a little bit about Jane. She loved the Central California's golden foothills and oak trees as she grew up in Central California. As a child, she spent endless hours staring out the window, dreaming of far-off places, fearless nights, and happily ever after endings. If she wasn't thinking about imaginary worlds, Jane's had her nose in a book, fueling those incredible journeys. Her parents fed her imagination by taking their family to Europe for a year when she was 13. That year away changed her, and she discovered a huge and wonderful world with different cultures and customs that only increased her interest for travel as well as she as much as she could so she spent much of her high school and college years abroad studying in places like south africa japan and ireland after years of traveling and studying she earned a bachelor's degree from ucla in american studies and later earned her master's in writing from the university of san francisco she also has taught junior high and high school and in all of that at some point she started thinking about writing a book, and her first book came out March uh, 2001 from Harlequin called The Italian Groom, and to date, she has over 65 books in print, both in romance and women's fictions. A book or two have been made into TV movies, and her latest book was released today called Montana Cowboy Daddy, and I am so excited that she's here today, and you can find Jane in all of her social media uh, places, and I have all those links in the write-up of the show. Thank you, Jane, for coming today. How are you? I'm really good. How are you, Patricia? I'm good. You know, you've done so much that I feel like a really short intro would have been like just shortchanging all this fabulous stuff you've done. So um, needed to get as much of that in there as I could. Tell everybody who you were. Well, I think, you know, it's funny. I don't really think of all that stuff. I just tend to think of myself as a mom, a wife. I am a writer. And I think of myself as a writer more than an author because a writer in my mind is the act of writing where an author is kind of like the 
the career after the book is done and the promoting. And yes. I really like being a writer better. Yeah. This, I mean, just writing something even every day, just something small or something just creative. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful place to kind of just escape for a little while. And I know we've all needed that recently. Well, I, I was going through some of uh, my old books earlier. I, I have a library, and I always spend a lot of time in there reorganizing shelves or just looking at books. And I found something my grandmother had saved um, back from when I was, gosh, freshman of college all the way through um, probably graduate school. And she had saved all the poetry I wrote. And I would write poems and send them to her to share them with her. And it's really interesting reading poetry from when I was 20 and 21 and now I'm 56, and so um, I don't write poetry anymore, but that was my favorite form of writing for years and years was, was poetry. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think that, and it's always fun to go back and see what you were writing about and from what point of view, because every stage of life is different, how we see things. So, I mean, I'm sure it was it was cool to see it, but in other ways, you're like, wow, you know, that, that doesn't seem like such an issue now. Well, I don't know. I'm still the same. I just pour my angst and heartache and love, and um, <laughs> I just put it into romances, and I get paid for it, whereas in the old days, I wrote, you know, in the quiet in my own room, and now, right. you know, now you, you build a career around it, so that's all right. Right. Well, I mean, you had done all these things, and, and you were you had little kids at home when you started writing. What was the catalyst that you went from poetry or writing for yourself versus getting that first book written and then the publishing journey? Well, I mean, I was writing also romances throughout UCLA. Uh, That's where I went to college. And I wrote my first romance the very end of my senior year of high school through that summer. And it was called Struck Out in Love. I was dating a, a baseball player in the minor leagues in the California league. And he, it made me think of this love story and, that was the first book I wrote, and I started submitting it to publishers in 1983, and that was the same year as I was writing poetry. I just didn't sell any of my first books until, gosh, I was 35. So I spent almost 15 years writing and yeah. submitting romances. And then once I figured out what I was doing wrong, um, it, it all kind of clicked into place. But, it, it's a, you know, writing, in my mind, is a muscle. So you can learn part, part of the craft but then you've got to work the back of the muscle. And so when you get part, like say your dialogue stronger, then you've got to build up your narrative structure. And so it's just back and forth and back and forth working that muscle. And mm-hmm. so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, that's probably why I got my master's in writing. I'm just fascinated by the craft of how do we tell a good story and how do we make readers, you know, care. Right. Well, and I, I saw a great quote a while back. It said storytelling is – the best thing that man has ever invented because you can talk about a hammer, but if no one knows how to use it, you've got to tell someone how you've got to tell them the story of how to use a hammer. And so those words, that storytelling um, is so essential for everyone. Yeah. Well, stories give us or give life meaning because it takes, it makes sense out of kind of the randomness or the sense of fate or futility. And I think that's why the oral story, you know, telling tradition dates back to the beginning of time. I mean, you, yeah. long before people could write, they would tell a story, you know, even as simple as, you know, hey, baby cave bear, you know, cave baby, <laughs> you can't fall in the fire because you'll get all burned up. 
You know, right. you started to use examples to teach, and then, you know, there's always that, if you do this, I know someone who shot their eye out, or, you know, and so there was always this example, and then it becomes stories. So I think stories are important because it allows us to process things and also reflect on our life and to escape sometimes, but also to illuminate. I'm a, you know, I I'm a was a reader for the time I was very young, and I read far more than I write, which probably doesn't help my production of writing. But I love, <laughs> you know, I I love story, and I need story. Yeah. What What were your go to books growing up? Oh, I loved a lot of my grandmother's books. I was raised, I was very close to my mom's mom, and she was. Uh, you know, had earned a master's degree back in the 20s. I mean, I, she was very literate and had huge libraries of kids' books. So I read all of her Five Little Peppers and the Pollyanna series and the Elsie Dinsmore series and the Bobsy Twins. So I grew up reading, you know, those old-fashioned children's books, but there was never one. You know, the Five Little Peppers has, say, five or six books in the series. The Elsie Dinsmore series had 20-plus books. Right. And so I would read those. And then I also loved, of course, everything by Louisa May Alcott. I have every book she ever wrote, and there's a lot. It's not just, you know, Little Women, Little Men. I have about 15 of her books. Um, I love Little House on the Prairie. Um, I think I have been drawn to series my whole life because if people are interesting, I just want to know more about them, which makes sense. You know, I write a lot of series. I I love connected family stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, you want to see what happens next for these people and their next phase in life because it doesn't always just end right there. Um, and so that's always – did you ever read any of the Betsy Tacey series? I didn't. I, I, it, if it wasn't on my grandma's shelf, I didn't. I kind of skipped from grandma's shelves to, like, Cherry Ames Student Nurse because our, <laughs> our public library had a huge section, um, and I, I very much admired Cherry. But no, I didn't. Was that one of your favorite series? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I grew up reading Nancy Drew and and a lot of those. And and I was reading um, Mother Daughter Book Club by Heather Vogel Frederick. And she has this great series where it's these four girls and it's set in Massachusetts. And they start off reading um, Little Women. And then the next one is, um, you know, Anne of Green Gables. And then they end up reading Betsy Tacey. And I'm like... I don't know anything about this. And it was kind of like, um, you know, any other, you know, friends or, or, you know, this group of friends, but it was set in Minnesota. Um, oh, and Yeah, it was really sweet. And so it was one of the things they all read in the book. But, you know, Heather was really great to, like, draw the parallels between what was happening in the book versus what's happening with the kids, you know, the characters of the book. Um, it was just a really fun series. And, and, then there's six of them. So it's, yeah, it's kind of like you're seeing this process, this growth of these characters uh, through time as they're reading. Um, and so the same thing, we want to know when you have that first book and they have a brother or they have a sister or a best friend, we want to know how everybody pans out. Um, so yeah, yeah, those series are, are important, I think. Well, one of the things that I loved about my grandmother's books was um, I grew up from a young age, even more so than my family, with a very strong element of faith. I, since I was very little, I was just very drawn to, and I was raised Episcopalian, but to reading my Bible, to, 
to going to church, to praying. And um, the Elsie Dinsmore series, which was written towards the end of the Civil War and on, so it's, I'd say most of those books started in like the 1870s, 1880s. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk about Jesus and reading your Bible. And if you were in trouble, you needed to go, you know, pray about something. And those really spoke to me. Even like the Pollyanna series, which was really about learning to be glad, learning to count your blessings for what you had that was positive. And even if everything was, you know, terrible or awful, there was still something to to be grateful for. And it really resonated with me. And I, it, it's one of the reasons that as I've gotten older and I have the ability to choose more of what I want to write and what do I want to say, you know, with whatever years I have left to tell a story, it is about, you know, essentially really good people who still need either, you know, to, who don't have a family of their own or who haven't fallen in love. Or I just, I don't write hot anymore. And, and sometimes I worry that, uh, I've just become so old and square, but I really love the <laughs> stories where it's focused on the character's growth, either mm-hmm. spiritually or emotionally, versus just this this heat. And um, yeah, it might be because I'm an apostle, but it, <laughs> I think um, it's kind of brought me full circle to you know I I love a lot of just even inspirational stories, things that make us feel good. I think it's important, especially after the last couple of years we've had. Stories that inspire are really important. Well, and you bring up a good point because a lot of people who don't necessarily write in the romance genre are are thinking about adding romantic elements. Uh, You know, we've had this discussion at many conferences and such. It's not the actual act itself. It's not the actual physical act of, of intimacy. It is the building of, the tension, the connection, the romance of all of it before. And sometimes I think that can be harder to write than the actual act itself. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, I just think the world is filled with stories as we were, you know, mm-hmm. and they're important. And what we might want at one time is what we want later, but also for writers, I think um, we go through phases and sometimes maybe we worry that, I'm not writing what's popular. Or I'm not writing the thing. But readers want a variety of, of books, and they mm-hmm. want a variety of storytelling voices and themes and styles. And I think there's a place for all writers. Um, it's just a matter of understanding, you know, what you want to do and what you want to say, and then, you know, finding the best kind of road uh, direction for telling that story. Right. Well, and speaking of great books, you have another one that came out today called Montana Cowboy Daddy. Why don't you tell us about that one? You know, it's my family. Um, so I have all sons. They, they laugh at they laugh at my titles sometimes, but I, I do my <laughs> titles for a reason. I'm I'm very deliberate because I know there are readers who truly love a story where a child makes two people a family. There's something mm-hmm. about you know, whether you want to call it a hidden baby or, it's, um, you know, a, a family that forms around the need to protect the child. I, I think it's an important story in our society. And so for me, these kind of hooky titles, though, also tell readers, here, if you like these stories, this is, this is the kind of story you would enjoy. Um, exactly. But I, I love well, I'm a sucker for a baby. I've been telling my boys for years, so I can't wait to become 
a dad, but please don't do it till you're married. <laughs> Finish <laughs> school and have a job. But um, you know, I I I'm writing about a bunch of brothers from Montana. They were all these boys are pretty much professional rodeo cowboys on the professional rodeo cowboy association circuit, so they compete. And um, this one ends up with a baby without a mom because she was killed in a car accident. And so a stranger shows up more or less on the hero's doorstep and says, "Um, this is my cousin's baby and your baby. And so it was, you know, how how are these people going to, um, my heroine is getting her PhD in psychology and she's busy and she's writing her dissertation. She can't afford to be a single mom, but he's living, you know, on the road, rodeo to rodeo. And, Mm -hmm. But there's some sweetness in there. And I think it's like, how do you make these things work? And there's always compromise and sacrifice. I mean, parenting is nothing if not compromise yeah. and sacrifice. And, and so I, I like to put some of that realism in there. But also, there's such a sweet innocence with a new baby. And there's so many hopes you have. So I, I like this baby. I like this book. I like, I like baby stories. So <laughs> I don't write them very often. But we, we got one. Yay. Well, is this person, is this part of a series as well? Is this the first of the series? Where does this fall? This is, this is book three. And um, I've been writing in the series. I always have a spring book and then I do a Christmas book. So I had um, the whole series is like Montana Cowboy Romance, Montana Cowboy Christmas. This is Montana Cowboy Daddy. And then the next one will be Montana Cowboy Miracle, which will be another Christmas story um, this fall. But it's a six-book series, and I should be writing them closer together, but I, I writing some other books for other publishers, too, and, you know, doing Thule publishing, and I work on film with Thule Entertainment. So I really enjoy this balance I have in my life now, and I think that's something I might not have been comfortable with before, but I love mm-hmm. to write, and then I love to be creative in, in other formats. and. It feels good not only writing. It feels good to develop other authors and develop other um, books and talk to authors about their stories. So it's kind of a really nice point in my life. And But it was scary. It was scary going, I'm not going to write, say, five, six books a year anymore. I'm going to cut back. And, and yeah. yet I'm happier. So. Well, I mean, how does – do you write the – like when you were writing Montana Cowboy Daddy, you write that whole book and then you write what's due for someone else. I mean, you space out your deadlines to where you're only writing one project at a time. How do you balance yeah. all that? Okay. I can't do, I can't do really right. You know, as you know, if you're writing close enough, you're still probably looking at copy edits from a different book um, mm-hmm. in between. You know, you might be, so you might get copy edits back and you have to look through those or you might be needing to write a proposal for something new. But I write intensely, usually for anywhere from six to eight weeks, do a book. And then I take a month off between books, mm-hmm. use that to get caught up, for example, on all things Thule editorial or working on film. It's when I used to go up to L.A. for meetings. And then when I settle back down to another book, um, you know, I, the next kind of six to eight weeks, I just write that one intensely, then take another month off. And sometimes if it's, you know, summer and the kids are home or my, my youngest, I might even take two months off. Um, I, I hate that because it makes starting another book harder. The more yeah. time I spend away from actively writing, I feel, you know, just kind of out of shape. So I, I try to keep it to a month at the max. 
do you do you take notes or anything or write little notes down to yourself and if you think of something for the book in the in that month or do you just walk away you know, from I, it is, is it out no i i actually think about it a lot during that month if i'm not writing um and i you know something i've really loved is is like a dictation on my phone i mm-hmm. have a dragon for the phone and so i'll just you know, turn on the little, you know, speaker, and as I'm doing dishes or doing errands or I get an idea, I just talk it into it. So sometimes it might even be a whole scene, like a picture for a future book. It might even be, or just notes. This is what's happening and why, and this was his motivation and why. And then I've got those notes, and I just hit, you know, upload, send it to my email, and then from email I can, you know, kind of paste into Word. So I have found that has helped a lot with, you know, don't forget. I used to scribble constantly in cocktail napkins and pieces of paper, and then I could never, can never find them. And that's one of the yeah. funny things about writing. When you get older, it's like I'm like, where did I put that? So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I know I've gone through boxes, and I'm like, what is this piece of paper? It's like half a sentence, and like <laughs> I said something like, you know, chickens with socks. I'm like, I don't know what this is. You know, it's obviously I felt like it was profound at the time, but you know, I don't know what's going on. Um, so yeah, it's, it's always um, a juggle for sure. Mental juggle, but I've heard dragon has actually helped a lot of my friends with writing. Um, and I, I probably should just go ahead and download it because if I'm in the car, that's usually when inspiration strikes, right? When you can't write anything down. Yeah, I think that's why I love it on my phone because I can just, in fact, the dragon from my phone is really far more stable than the one that was on my my computer. I think dragon mm-hmm. would be great on, um, I think it's it's more problem, it seems like it has more problems with Mac, and so I love it on my phone. It's not as glitchy, and I'm able to, um, you know, just keep it fresh and not, I think a lot of it, especially, you know, when I love it is when I'm writing probably halfway through a book towards the end. And I, that's when I'm starting to write not just 2,000 words a day, but I'm writing more. And I mm-hmm. go, okay, I have a week left, and I still have 20-something <laughs> thousand words or more to go. What am I missing in my book? What do I need? And so I'll, I will pick it up and dictate a lot. I'll take a bath, and I'll dictate all right, we need that sequel scene or that, that reunion scene. Then we need the sequel scene after where they, you know, and I, I start listing just scene, little tiny scene after scene. And then I get and print it off, have it next to my desk, use that as a guide as I'm writing. And then later yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm going to need this scene. So I have found that that works not as well in the very beginning. I'm a, a writer that loves hitting almost like the halfway point. So I, I've never really had big sagging middles. If anything, the beginning of a book is super hard for me. Really, it's my least favorite part. And so once I have 75 pages to 100 down, I start loving the book more and more. Right. It's not as much of a, okay, I've got to finish this. It's, boy, I can't wait to finish this. Can't wait to finish, well, yeah, tell her one, one story. One, one, there's a pre-order up for the book, so it has to get in there. Yeah. Um, but also... <laughs> You know, I want it done. I write with a lot of pressure on myself. I think I put the pressure on myself. You know, after when you would think after 65 books, you would go, oh, um, I know how to do this. But my anxiety is that readers have read me before. I want to surprise them. I want to give them something that feels new but equally wonderful. I've had readers say, you you know, this book that you wrote was one of my favorite books ever. 
I've had it for 15 years. I love, you know, so I feel this thing like, okay, they are familiar with the Jane Porter brand. How do I not have them go, oh, it's not, not the best Jane Porter book I've read. I feel that intensely. And so there's all this pressure with starting a book. How is the idea unique and, and smart or interesting and engaging? And I'm very aware of the reader in every step. I don't write for myself anymore. I really write for the reader who loves me. I don't write for the reader who doesn't like me. I've learned that I'm, that reader isn't mine, so I don't focus on them. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point because if you keep trying to chase the people who say they don't like you, it's never, it's never ending. I mean, you'll never win that no. one. No. It, it, it doesn't work when you're in elementary school. It doesn't work yeah. when you're in college or an adult. And so, I, yeah, I think learning to also like what you do well and then, you know, just like in anything, we don't do everything perfectly and I'm not going to have, for example, I don't do suspense in my writing. I'm not um, a mystery writer. I, I'm not a sci-fi writer. I don't write the heat. So what do I do? I love characters now. How do I develop them? And so for me, that's always that have I given them enough character without slowing a story down? Right. And that's the, that's the beauty of writing. It's a really interesting conversation with yourself and the words. You know, people want to know things, but you don't ever want to add too much backstory early on, but you want to ground them. And I, I think that's the part where I get anxious. And then once I've got the setup there, I kind of go, okay, I know what I'm doing. Let's, we're, let's get this party going. Right. I've got my world ready. Let's, let's, let's hit it hard. But you yeah. haven't just written, yeah, you haven't just written books. I mean, you have, you started too late. So tell me what the catalyst was to start your own publishing company. You know, it was started simply because I really want to work with some of my writer friends. I have some wonderful writer friends from the very beginning. And, you know, you see these anthologies of certain publishers. And at one point, all four of us were writing for Harlequin, but we wrote for different lines, you know, either super romance or special edition, Harlequin Presents. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all write something together? And um, like one friend wrote for Desire, and we just, we, we went to our editors several times to say, could we do this? And they're like, no, no. And I said, well, why don't we create something together? And it was right. also during a time where my um, what, one of my sons was really struggling with um, a mood disorder that he wasn't correctly diagnosed for a long time. And this kind of came on top of some real problems that, you know, with him. He had gone away to Texas for university and things were falling apart. And I didn't, I think I needed like the girlfriends. I needed that support. I'd left Seattle. Sure. I was newly living in Orange County in California without a lot of friends here. And so I needed my writer girlfriends. And we started, you know, talking what we could do and create together and this, creating this town together. And it just grew into, okay, let's all write a series and let's publish these. And then I'm like, well, let's create a company, a publishing house that they can all be published by. And then it just, mm -hmm. with it, Jane Porter doesn't do anything by half measure. <laughs> and the next thing, I was reaching out to other authors, like, hey, do you have any time? Would you want to write a Christmas story? And then, oh, hey, we have this cute town in Marietta, Montana. Would you ever want to write anything for this little town? And, and now, you know, over half of our books at least come through the slush and agents. I mean, we, we truly get tons of agented uh, submissions every month. And, in fact, I know just 
a month or so ago, we had maybe 15 agents and submissions in just two weeks. And we were so full, or, or we have such great authors that write, we've turned on, hadn't turned almost all of them down. So oh, wow. we're really, we're booking out to 2023 simply because we have so many wonderful books. And because and we, we are a small company, we kind of cap it at, um, you know, X number of titles a month. But it, yeah. it, it really grew, and um, it's, it's been wonderful. There's times where I'm like, I don't know. Because I started it without thinking of any exit strategy. And at one point, someone said, so how does this end? I'm like, I don't know. What have I done? <laughs> but a fantastic professional team that really, they do the day-to-day. And I kind of have a vision for editorial or I have a vision for author support and what we want, how we want to treat authors and what we want creatives to feel. Because it's very important to me that authors, um, I'm, I'm kind of hardcore in a way, though. I have to say, I believe in a lot of emotional support and creative support for authors. But mm-hmm. that it's a business. And you have to yeah. realize from the beginning, romance, like genre fiction, mystery, sci-fi, fantasy, it's all about, you know, it's a business. So if you're going to get into it, you, you want, the author wants to make money and the publisher wants to make money. If you're an indie author, you still want to make money. You want to recoup all your expenses. So I think that's the biggest thing is trying to help the brand new writers understand um, this isn't about ego. It's really like you've got to be wanting to make money and you've got to deliver a product people want to pay for. So yeah. I love, oh, I love sure. the, I, you know, so I love the creative side of writers, but then there's the other side of me, which might be my, German Scottish rigorous upbringing where it's like it, it's also business so think think professionally think about this brand you're creating and how are you going to build your business and build your brand ideally it means books similar to the ones you're already writing you know you don't want right. to write for example four cowboys and then go write two mysteries and then go write a, a sci-fi you really want to, if you're going to create four cowboys, you're going to do another series with more cowboys and get those readers to find you and know what you do well. And then once you've established yourself, then branch out with a second brand maybe. Right, right. What do you think, you know, when you were talking about submissions, and and I've seen different or I've talked to different people over the years about people submitting, uh, what is the biggest mistake a lot of people make when they submit their manuscripts? or like the top three mistakes? You know, I would say the first one is if that publishing house doesn't publish mystery, they'll send a mystery in. You know, <laughs> it's really interesting. Cooley gets lots of historicals. Well, we, I mean, literally historical nonfiction. Well, we don't do nonfiction. Okay. We, we don't do biographies. So I think it's like look at what the ha- publisher does and only submit what they do do there. If they say we don't want kids' books, um, we don't publish, you know, young adult, don't submit a young adult story. So I think the yeah. first thing is making sure they actually publish what you do. Then I think it's also being familiar with, again, the market. If you could say, if you genuinely believe your story is, say, like Twilight, then feel free to say that. You know, I've written a three-book series, you know, that's similar to the, you know, young adult series or whatever twilight and and feel free to compare it but but don't say it's i would say don't say it's as good if not better than twilight 
I think those are the things. Be factual, but you right. don't need to, like, build it up too much. I think, look, you know, one of the things I saw, and I thought it was disappointing for the author, but she said, I kept saying, I know you'll love this. This is fantastic. You won't be able to put it down. I think I felt bad because in-house people, you don't want to tell somebody what they're going to like or not like. I think the best thing that author should have done is say, I'm you know, really excited to share with you my new book, 75,000 words, said in blah, 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 and I hope you'll like it. You know, mm-hmm. Or say, I'm really proud of it. I hope you'll enjoy it. But to tell somebody you're going to love it, it almost turns the editor or the editorial intern off. And that's something when things come into Tule, there's editorial interns from, um, you know, colleges and universities that work with us who are our first readers. And then yeah. they'll help decide what happens to it. Then it comes into our editorial team. And then it's presented and we discuss it. And then editors go home and read either a part of it or all of it. And then we come back two weeks later and say, is this something we want to consider further? And if so, then it comes to my attention. And then I read. And, um, and then we decide we make an offer. So there's layers to it. Um, I, almost, I sit in all the editorial meetings, so even if something is being rejected, I usually still have been, I've heard about it because right. I do believe since I started Thule, um, I just want to know what's happening. Every now oh, and then sure. I might not recognize something, something might slip through. And in part, too, because a lot of times I know a lot of writers, and it's really hard on me and in my heart when someone submits something and they say it, someone I've known for 20 years through RWA. And if Thule decides to pass, it's hard on me. But I have to also realize I can only do, I can't wear my heart on my sleeve for the business side. There's so many authors. I mean, Thule has published over 750 books by over 145 authors. Wow. Those authors still need to be taken care of. Those authors still deserve attention. So I have to remember, even though I want to maybe bring in everybody who likes me. This isn't about me. It's about doing what's best for the authors we currently have and Mm -hmm. what we do well as a business, as a publisher. And sometimes we're not the best fit for every author. Well, and that's something that I think a lot of people have, I I see it, and I know you see it too, is this idea of, like you mentioned, it's going to be better than it's, you know, and it's like, there's no reason when you're pitching or even talking to other authors to bring down someone else's work. Maybe it's not something you'd read, but we all know how hard it is to write a book and to get it to where it's, you know, you want anyone to see it. So, you know, build up your own and not necessarily pull by pulling someone down, just like, just don't even go in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I used to read a lot of that um, where people would say, oh, I can't even believe this book was published or my stuff is so much better. I think the best thing to do is then go out and try to get published or mm-hmm. if you think yours is so much better. The one thing I think people forget, too, is if you – publishers don't want to only publish the exact same thing. If they have already acquired, for example, say a lot of Montana Cowboys, They Mm -hmm. might not want four more Montana Cowboys at that time. They might think, you know what, I would love a small-town story, but I would love it set in Texas. And Mm -hmm. so we don't always know why something doesn't work. It might simply be the subject matter isn't what they need right then, that they might have a catalog that's already very full of maybe cozy mysteries, and maybe they want more of a domestic suspense thriller. 
So I think mm-hmm. I think it sometimes it with publishing there is timing, but but yeah, going in, I realize I'm not I'm very picky in my tastes and meaning I'm I'm selective. I I know what kind of read I want when I'm reading for Jane. I really like right. a certain kind of story. I I prefer the sweeter regency. I prefer even some of the inspirational or Christian stories just because I, I don't know, maybe they remind me of the Elsie Dinsmore books when I was little or the Five Little sure. Peppers. I I like it. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy, you know, a really hot or erotic historical romance. It just means that that's kind of my glom for whatever reason. And I think every reader out there has their own glom. Uh, mm-hmm. And you'll find those readers. There's millions of readers in the world. So there's millions of people who could love your book. Um, and that's the beauty of indie and, you know, self-publishing now. You could, if you believe in your work, and if you're not, you know, you can self-publish. And mm-hmm. it is a lot of work. It's the reason why I never wanted to do it. I never <laughs> wanted to have to write and promote me exclusively. I just, I find myself too boring. I don't want to do that. So. <laughs> well, see, that's why you come on my show, because then I'll promote for you. <laughs> yeah, I actually, you know, I, I, I don't do very much anymore in terms of publicity and promotion. I used to do a lot, and I just thought I've done this for 20-plus years. I'm tired of talking about me, and, and that's the joy for me, really, why Tuli was – I've taken these years, this years of experience, and the, I've had a lot of successes, and why not support someone else with that? And why not see if I can build someone else? And, I, I, you know, I get more pleasure out of that than I get out of, you know, my career in many ways. Yeah, paying it forward in a way. Yeah, it just feels good. I mean, I love being a teacher. I really, really love being a teacher, and I think that it's truly – um, part it, it's sometimes part teaching, part um, being a coach, where you should like yeah. get your butt up and get going. And right. I think maybe that's because I've needed that for me, to be honest. And I, I think that's the most ironic or the hardest thing about Julie. Sometimes I need that. I need someone poor to get your butt in the chair and get the pages done and and shut up. Just sh- <laughs> shut up with excuses. The the one person who does that for me is Megan Farrell. Like she. She's on maternity leave right now, but she would just basically be like, I don't even want to see you. I don't want to, like, hear from you. I just want the book in. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Megan. She's like, no, no. Get get the book done, and then we'll talk. We'll go have lunch. But I think right. it, it was, it's, it's important to have – because if somebody said to me, oh, don't worry about it. Take your time. Get it in whenever. I'll tell you what. People won't come in. But if mm-hmm. you're like, we have a pre-order up, we're, we're publishing that puppy April 1st, you get that book in six weeks or eight weeks or six months early so we can publish that book, or I'll be really upset with you. I'm going to do it. So right. I think that that's, for me, is I need some of that. I need somebody to say, no, all right, we're not going to talk about writing anymore. You just need to write the damn book. Right. <laughs> we're, done, we're done brainstorming. It's time to go write it all out. Right? You have to, yeah, I mean, and the fact is, as you know, writing is really hard work. It's really yes. hard. I like, I like brainstorming, and I like ooh, all the possibilities, but choosing the, the right word, word after word, for weeks or months or a year, 
it's exhausting and it can be lonely and it can be frustrating. And you could spend weeks writing something and then just rip it all apart and get rid of that whole stuff you wrote. Yeah. So with that said, I think that's why writers need writers to say, yeah, I get it. It is hard. But then you also need each other to go, I'm going to hold you accountable and you've got to do it. I'm writing, you know, 500 words say you write 500 words say let's you know I'll send you my words I'll prove it and I right. think it's interesting but if you have someone help hold your feet to the fire a bit it's um it's good you know I that's why I love some of those groups that do sprints together or that have challenges um whatever helps you get it done I think is is important yeah and you know also um, it also helps you realize that your search history is not bizarre. Like you won't have to worry about the FBI showing up at your door, worried that you've looked up all these different things um, for research for your book. Um, we've, yes. My daughter is a writer, and we've joked about that and um, about different things. And, you know, we've all looked up stuff and just thinking, you know, the FBI this is tagging someone because this is just too bizarre. <laughs> you need those people that are like, oh, yeah, I looked up such and such, you know. It's all fine. Well, I can spend forever. I love research. I mean, my problem is I will research forever, and then i like, okay, that's enough research, you, Porter. I talk to myself a lot, as you can see. I have to be stern. Like, all right, <laughs> enough research. You need to start writing. So Yeah. Yeah, I interviewed Beverly Jenkins uh, late last year, and, and she talked about that rabbit hole of research that we have to be able to set our boundaries to because she ended yeah. up looking up one thing, and three hours later, you know, she's discovered all this stuff, and she's like, I'm not going to use any. I don't know what happened, but it was also fascinating. So, yeah, it's that setting the timer and giving yourself those boundaries is so important. Well, I think we love, uh, you were saying it earlier at the very beginning of the show, I, I love learning new things. I really do. Mm -hmm. And I've been learning lots of new things um, in the last month or so. I've even set up, like, over at Ancestry, I've been researching um, female artists and writers kind of of the late um, 19th century, early 20th century. And I've created, because they were, they've been forgotten, essentially, you know, by time, by history. Mm -hmm. And I was... I, I found something I'm like, oh, I, I want to know more. And there's really almost no more to be found. I'm like, that's impossible. I found this yeah. little teeny clipping from Publisher Weekly that said they were one of the, you know, most successful, like, you know, children's authors or young adult authors of the time. And there's nothing else. Like, they, they because they weren't the, they weren't the writers chosen to be in the right anthology or they weren't the ones that were, you know, immortalized somehow other way and they were also all almost every single one was also a wife so the way she was remembered and the way she was referenced was always then later by her married name not her mm -hmm. her art you know her writer name or her professional painting name and so i i loved tracking all these people down and trying to find out you know either where they grew up and where they went to school and but to the point like okay my whole month of march disappeared in this fascinating rabbit hole and I, I know I'll use it in a future book but I have a <laughs> deadline coming up on May May 20th yeah. for my, my my first book of my Berkeley series I'm like Jane you are beginning to cut it close you need to write <laughs> it's got to happen well then on that note I will absolutely let you go right but <laughs> I have really appreciated you being here today thank you
Oh, I've enjoyed it, Patricia. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So everybody listening, I've been talking to best-selling author Jane Porter. Her book, Montana Cowboy Daddy, is out today. And when you're finished with that book, Jane's got, you know, another 60-plus books you can read while she's finishing her next one. Um, So give her a shout. And I have her uh, links in the write-up of the show for her website, all her social media, and you can look for her at janeporter.com. And so thank you so much again, Jane. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. And everybody, keep on reading. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle.